Hi everyone, for those who don't know me, my name's Anna and I'm going to be reading the Bible to us tonight. Um, the readings can be found on page 8 and 9 of the zines with the first reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 16 to 30. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with boasting in... You gladly put up with fools since you were so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And the second reading is from Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 to 18. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who were circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to, become, to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, my name's Paul White, uh, the third member of staff on stage, so all that we need is a cameo from Craig and Jenny, uh, and you'd have the full team here in Justin's absence. But it's my pleasure tonight to be preaching our last uh, sermon from our Galatians series, which is 
uh, the passage that was just read, that second passage. So we got to have that open. I'm going to refer briefly to the other one, but that's sort of the, the focus of this evening's message. But first of all, I'm going to, I'm going to pray and ask God for, for help. Father, your word is living and active, uh, sharper than any double-edged sword, which means that sometimes it cuts a little close to the bone, uh, as it has done for me this week, uh, here in this passage at the end of Galatians. And so I pray, Father, this evening that we may not be hardened by what you have to say to us, uh, but instead we might be changed by it uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we listened to our Bible readings a moment ago, one word stood out. In fact, it's framed the whole service, hasn't it? That word, boast. Boasting over and over again. And it's an ugly word, isn't it? It's an ugly word just like all of its close cousins. To gloat, to brag to show off, to sing one's own praises, to blow one's own trumpet. That's an ugly list that leads to other unpleasant words, like being full of oneself, being big-headed, egotistical, arrogant and conceited. Boasting. It's ugly in others and ugly in ourselves. I wonder then why we all do it. Now, sure, look, some of us are more practiced at it than others. Uh, Some of us are more flagrant at it, uh, while others amongst us, well, we're much more subtle in concealing our boasting. Just a seemingly incidental line slipped into conversation about how late you left the office last night, or how well your child's doing at school. Off topic, Just a a casual little line that you like to work into conversation, no matter really what that conversation is about. Boasting. Some people are flagrant at it. Some conceal their boasts. And then others, well, seem to simply be oblivious to it. I remember hearing about a Facebook post by a fourth-year Moore College student who just received his final exam results. The post read, so humbled to have come first in my year. (laughs) Humbled, (laughs) really. Boasting. It's ugly in others and ugly in ourselves. But we all do it. And I wonder why. Of course, it's never been easier to boast, has it? I mean, there are whole industries built around boasting, uh, like the modern self-esteem movement. Uh, Tell yourself you're beautiful. Uh, Tell yourself you can do anything you set your mind to. And of course, social media is filled with boasts. I wonder what you boast about. For me, Well, I think it's dropping unnecessary information into conversation to sort of project an image of myself that I'd like to maintain. It might be about getting up early or working long hours while still managing to get to the gym late at night. And, you know, even if these things are true and good, why is it that I want you to know these things about me? 
Why is it that I feel the need to remind you of them, just sort of slipping them in there, here and there, just enough to make sure that you don't miss them? Well, I wonder what it is for you. What's the, the meta-narrative, uh, the overall impression of your Instagram account? All those passionate Facebook posts on certain recurring issues online. What is it that you're always returning to or trying to work into your conversations? Uh, your big mortgage, your volunteering, your relationship, your part-time master's degree. Your tireless support of your grandchildren, that big project at work, or the renovations on your holiday home. Now, all good things, right? But why are you returning to them so often, always kind of bringing them up? Now, look, I know this is, this is unpleasant, but I'd like to press a little further. Because, you see, when we uncover what we boast about, it could be really revealing. Have you ever thought to sort of follow the trail of your boasting back to your heart? Have you ever followed the breadcrumbs of your boasts, as it were, and uncovered what they reveal about your inner self? You see, your boasts trace their way back to the motives of your heart. And you know, whenever we go to motive, well, things can get really uncomfortable. Take, for example, me here right now. So here I am preaching to you. Now, outwardly, that's a, a good thing, surely. But I have mixed motives. Yes, I, I want to make Jesus Christ known. Yes, I want to see him glorified in our city. Yes, I want you to grow in your knowledge and love of God and through my words, see God glorified. But a small part of me and sometimes not so small, is also here for my own glory. I want you to think well of me, that I'm a good preacher. I'm after your affirmation, your recognition, your praise. And so well does Jeremiah 17 say this, I think. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Matters of motive, matters of the heart, can be unpleasant to uncover. In fact, we'd prefer not go there. And yet, well, that Jeremiah passage continues. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. It's good that I'm preaching to you. It's good that you support refugees. It's good that you work hard at your job. But it's the motivations behind your actions that count most to God. Volunteering because it makes you feel good, or because you think that others will think better of you because it, well, it doesn't hold much sway with God. Man looks at outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so often it's our little boasts that betray the true state of our hearts. Today, Paul concludes his letter to the Galatians, and in his final words, he goes to motive. He goes to matters of the heart. 
Now, some in Galatia, as we've seen over the past few weeks, have been teaching a false gospel, a gospel plus works of the Old Testament law, like circumcision, which renders the gospel completely ineffective, making it no gospel at all. And so the church has been thrown into confusion. There's disunity and discord, but most critically, people's salvation is at stake. And so Paul's written passionately and urgently uh, right back at the beginning, Galatians 1, 6-7, he said, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a, a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And the whole letter kind of just escalates, doesn't it? At Galatians 3, verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And then... Well, then there's 5 verse 12, where Paul says, As for those agitators, the ones forcing people to get circumcised, I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves, uh, which is certainly some of his strongest words. But then today, for even further emphasis, if that was possible, Paul literally takes the pen out of the hand of his scribe and concludes the letter in his own hand. Do you see that in verse 11 of the passage? He says, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. And so we kind of imagine the entire concluding paragraph of his letter written in all caps, in capital letters. Which takes me back. Do you remember when your parents first got a mobile phone and they used to send text messages all in capital letters? Uh, you know, Hi, Paul, how are you? Mum and I are at the shop. Imagine that. Um, People reading the letter to the, the Galatian church, remember many people in those days couldn't read, uh, so the letter was read aloud to, to a group of people, and they would have turned the letter around and, and, and pointed at the last paragraph uh, and seen Paul's oversized all caps uh, writing, almost like it was written in bold and, and double underlined. This is not a casual sign-off uh, like in some of his letters. This is the heart of the matter. And today, instead of demonstrating theologically that his opponents are in error, uh, as he's done, as we've seen right through the letter, uh, instead, Paul exposes their deeper motivations in leading people astray. Paul delves deeper. He goes to motive. He exposes the true state of his opponents' hearts. In school, like probably a lot of you, I studied um, some Shakespeare, and I really loved Hamlet, and you know, I love that line in Hamlet. Um, two of Hamlet's uh, childhood friends, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, uh, whom he says that he trusts as adders fanged, uh, well, they've been enlisted in a plot to do away with him. But Hamlet outwits them, and he catches them in their own trap. And just before, he says, But I will delve one yard below their mines, he means landmines and blow them at the moon. Well, this is Paul's explosive conclusion to his letter. And in it, Paul delves beneath outward appearances. Uh, Paul delves beneath the theological arguments and the insistence on new believers being circumcised, and he exposes what's really going on. It's, well, it's ugly. It's not about the law at all. It, it's about pride. See, Paul's opponents are boasting in circumcision numbers. They're trying to compel people to be circumcised for their own public affirmation 
and praise. See that verse 12? Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. And so what's happened here is that Paul has followed the trail left by their boasting back to the true state of their hearts. And so by way of fiery conclusion, well, in today's passage, Paul goes to motive. This is where we just need to, to pause a little. Because who amongst us isn't guilty of the same charge? The first few words of verse 12. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh. Wanting to impress people. Well, that's the root cause of the Galatian problem, and it's the root cause of many of our problems. What does our boasting point to? What does it expose of our hearts? Why do we do it? Well, because we want to impress people too. We're after their affirmation. We're desperate for recognition and affirmation. And so we use them for it. Affirm me, love me, tell me I'm okay. Working all our relationships to the same end. Using people, just like was happening in Galatia. Why do we do this? I mean, it's ugly, isn't it? Why do we do this? Why is it so? And I'm sure modern psychology uh, will speak about low self-esteem and insecurity. But you know, the Bible going back thousands of years explains it something like this. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 tells us that all of humankind was made to worship and serve God. And well, Romans 1 and 2 expands on this, telling us that all human beings, all of us in this building and outside this building, all human beings know deep down inside, we know that we were made to serve God, to serve and honour God and no one else, nothing else. Which then means that every part of your being, your needs, your, every part of your being needs and has been created for, has been designed to hear God say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. The approval of God, the recognition of God, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you need. It's, it's imprinted into our DNA. And you have an emptiness inside of you, a, a hole inside of you, a, a deep longing for it. You need the recognition of God, the, the well done of God. And because we don't have that, because we've turned away from God, we're desperately trying to fill that hole inside of us at the expense of everyone else. That's what's going on with all those little boasts. We crave the recognition of God, his well done, but we're looking for it in all the wrong places. And so we go out into all of our relationships, and instead of going out to serve, we go out to subtly use people. Our relationships become transactional. How can I profit from this person? How can I profit from this relationship? How can I sort of bolster my fragile sense of being a good person? How can I build myself up at, at your expense? 
you're going into every relationship not to serve, but to ask yourself, well, how does this make me feel? How does this help me or not help me shore up my own sense of self-worth so that I feel like I'm an important person, so that I feel better about myself? This is what our boasting points back to. But you know, Paul doesn't let up here. He's, he's relentless. He goes deeper still. You see the second half of verse 12. Uh, the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Their need for affirmation, their deep need for acceptance means that, well, deep down they're living in fear. Their flagging and fragile sense of self-worth is, is so dependent on the opinions of others that they're afraid to rock the boat and they've compromised the faith. Afraid of persecution, afraid of falling in the eyes of others, they've returned to towing the Jewish line of circumcision at the expense of the gospel. You see, if you rely on the opinions of others to feel good about yourself, then well, being a Christian really isn't a good strategy. Because the gospel, well, it's, it's really quite offensive. And so it's no wonder that those in Galatia had set about changing it. If the root cause of your boasting is that you're seeking affirmation in others and not in God, well then very soon your gospel too is going to become no gospel at all because, well, you're going to go and change it to make it more palatable to those around you whose opinions you value so much. So what then do we do about our boasting? What do we do about our slippery, wayward hearts? Well, Paul would point us to the cross, verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or put positively, kind of flipping that statement around. Boast only in the cross. Boast only in the cross through which, the verse continues, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So if you want to put boasting and these insecurities to death, if you want an undivided heart, if you want to fill that hole inside of you, that God-given longing for recognition and affirmation and worth, if you want to love and serve others in your relationships instead of using them, then... According to Paul, boast only in the cross. But what does that mean? Boast only in some first century torture device? What does that mean? What does it mean to boast only in the cross? Look, briefly, I'd like to suggest that it means at least two things. And then I'd like to move on to what boasting in the cross results in. So two things, and then that I think, uh, you know, define boasting in the cross, and then we're going to move to the results of boasting in the cross. So what is boasting in the cross? Well, firstly, I think it's seeking the applause of God. It's in your speech and actions and in the image you project, seeking, in a humble way, of course, the recognition of God, his well-done, good and faithful servant. This is the rule that Paul commends to all the churches. Not seeking the approval of our peers, but seeking the applause of God. 
Judge your speech and your actions according to this rule. Because ultimately, deep down, it's God's approval that you're seeking. That deep longing inside of you just simply can't be filled by manipulating someone's opinion of you so that you can feel good. So instead of those subtle boasts about how great you are that build you up and make that other person insecure, instead of using them and boasting as the world does, love and serve them by perhaps by even boasting about your weaknesses, which then lifts them up and is done to the applause of God. So firstly, boasting in the cross is, is living for the applause of God and, and not to the applause of man. And secondly, I think boasting in the cross is, well, frankly, just simply seeing and acknowledging what Jesus Christ did to, to get all this for you. I mean, after all, what are you boasting about? There's a great throwaway line that I heard Tim Keller refer to one time, um, and it's, it's a line from Jesus. And Jesus says to his disciples here, he says to them in passing, just in passing, in Matthew 7, he just says, you who are evil. Now, don't miss that. Jesus dismisses his disciples in four words, <laughs> the 12, as evil. They're evil. We're evil. That's, that's half the gospel right there. We're evil. Outside of the cross of Jesus Christ, we're not deserving of any of this. Any gifts or skills or success we might come into is purely through the grace of God. Just as Paul says to the Corinthians, where he says, What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? And furthermore, compared to eternal life purchased for us on that cross, none of these vain things that charm us most really count for anything, do they? Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision really counts for anything, Paul says there. And in light of the cross, buying that family home or renting for the rest of your life, well, doesn't really count for anything. In light of the cross, all the trivial things that we boast in don't really count for anything. What counts, verse 15, is new creation, new birth, new life in the Holy Spirit, and eternal life with our Father, and his pleasure, his well-done, good, and faithful servant. That's the measure that Paul would have us use. That's, that's the rule that he commends to all the churches in our passage. Boast in this, live in this, you'll only really be satisfied in this. Well, Paul then, uh, pressing down with that pen of his and writing in those large letters, concludes his letter with these powerful words from verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me any trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And with these words, Paul teaches us the result of boasting in Christ. If you live for the applause of God, if you're always returning in your speech and in your actions and in your thought life to what Jesus did to purchase this life for you, well, then you too will bear on your body the marks of Christ. 
Now think about it for a moment. Paul's accusers are trying to have people circumcised, which is one type of mark that you bear on your body. But Paul's speaking about the true marks of Jesus, the marks he bears on his body. As a result of their worldly boasting, well, the false teachers in Galatia have received fame and influence and a great following. But as a result of boasting in the cross of Christ, well, Paul and plenty of those Syrian Christians we heard about earlier bear the true marks of Jesus. In fact, we read about some of those marks in our first Bible reading, didn't we? I'll, I'll just read some of that again. This is Paul speaking. He said, I have worked much harder at being in prison more frequently, being flogged more severely, and being exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And Paul goes on and on. The marks of Jesus. And so we have to wonder, don't we? Fame, success in our careers, popularity, affluence and influence. Are these the marks of compromise or the marks of Christ? And yet so often, they're the secret desires of our hearts, aren't they? And the direction of our little boasts. I wonder, are these the secret desires of your heart? Are, are these where your boasts lead? And what about the marks of Christ? Now look, we might not bear the marks of Jesus on our bodies. We might not be scarred like the Apostle Paul was. But what about your bank statements? Do they bear the marks of compromise? Or the marks of Christ? And what about your calendar? If a friend were to look over your shoulder and have a look at your calendar and the way you prioritise the use of your time, would she see the marks of Jesus? And then if someone talked to your friends or colleagues at work or your neighbours about your conversation and your character, would they testify to seeing the marks of Jesus in your life? But you know what, I, I know what you're thinking because I'm, well, I'm kind of thinking it too. Who would want a life like this? Beaten, shipwrecked, trodden upon, giving up my money, my time, my, my life. Well, I'll let Paul reply to that from Philippians. There he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. 
I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. The approval of others is a false trail. What your heart truly longs for is these words from our Father, well done, good and faithful servant. And so will you join me in boasting only in the cross? Will you join me in living life to the applause of our Father? Let's pray. Father, when I survey the wondrous cross where the young prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? His dying crimson, like a robe, spreads o'er his body on the tree, then I am dead to all the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Amen.